Let us pray. Dear Lord, you've gathered us together on this beautiful spring day for the purpose of worship, so that your name may be glorified, the name above all names. Lord, you dwell in unapproachable light, and yet you come to us. You come to us in Jesus Christ. You come to us in the Holy Spirit, so that our minds and our hearts may be awakened so that our lives may be animated to to serve and glorify You. And so, Lord, we pray now, here in this time, that we may worship You by listening to Your Word read and proclaimed. We pray, Lord God, that Your Word and Your Word alone may speak, that the honor might be directed towards You, and that we might be built up So that as we go out into the world, we may go as disciples of the living God. Encouraged, strengthened, nourished by your word. Ready to serve those around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So one of the things, these themes that has come up over the, the past few weeks is this opposition to the church. That the church in the book of Acts is growing and growing and expanding and pushing on boundaries and the world has started to push back. And not necessarily very gently. You know, we talked we talk about the conversion of, of Saul. We talked about how he was violently persecuting the church. How he was seeking to put an end to this new church and to all those who followed it. And, you know, there were, Paul was not the only one. But then, so we also, but we see the church continuing to expand. And as one of the Pharisees said earlier on of Acts, if this is of God, we don't want to be opposing it. And as the church continues to expand, what we find is that it is very definitively of God. Because only something of God continue, could continue to flourish in such an environment filled with hostility and opposition. And so we turn to Acts 14, uh, chapter 8, or Acts 14, verse 8, uh, through, I'm going to read on through verse 21. Um, So starting in verse 8. It says, In Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet and had never walked. For he had been crippled from birth. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul, looking at him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifice. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, They tore their clothes 
and rushed out into the crowds shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways. Yet he has not left himself without a witness in doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came there from Antioch and Iconium and won over the crowds. Then they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples surrounded them, he got up and went into the city. The next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had proclaimed the good news to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, then on to Iconium and Antioch. You know that old definition of insanity? doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Paul went back into the city where they had just stoned him almost to the point of death twice. You can make up your own minds about what that says about Paul. Um, But that's something. So, how many of you know someone with more money than you have? How many of you know someone with a bigger house? With a better job? You know someone who seems happier than you are. How many of you know someone who goes to a church where the preacher doesn't try to make you feel inadequate in the first two minutes of a sermon? Uh, The point of all of this is that if you want to be number one in a certain category in the world, we've we've all probably got some work to do. Right? If we want to achieve and be the best or the most of something in the world, we all have someone ahead of us. So in advertising, the world of advertising is a great reminder of our inadequacies, right? Someone out there has this product or this system that if you purchase it for the low, low price of $19.99 plus shipping and handling, they can help you achieve status in certain areas of your life that you could not do without this product. You want a bigger house? You want to be more attractive? My email spam filter is filled with emails offering to help me achieve the best at whatever it is that I may want to be the best in. So again, why start out with this? I think it is very important to think about our sense of self and what it is that creates our understanding of who we are, of how we think about ourselves. 
It is my hope that in the last six and a half years that I've been here that you've heard me emphasizing the fact that, that you are a child of God. That you are uniquely handcrafted, designed by the one who created the universe. That he created you in the image of God and that he loves you uniquely. Passionately. Just as you are. That we worship a God who lavishes His love on all His creations. I hope that if you hear nothing else, that you hear that and that you have heard that message over and over again. That God loves you. We have this inherent dignity within ourselves because of who made us. And because of His love for us. Because we are made in the image of God. Not because of what we have done, what we have achieved, or what we have failed to do. It is a massive distinction that we in the church make and we emphasize. But once we leave the church, that often flips. And the reverse is true. When you think about it, if you meet someone else, What's the first question they ask you once they learn your name? What do you do? Right? There is that, that label that is put upon us. And once we learn what someone does, there's this part of our mind that instantly makes judgments about them based on what it is that they do. We make judgments about people based on all sorts of things. And we kind of categorize people because this is how kind of the world has been teaching us to think. That there are desirable categories and that there are less than desirable categories. And so we're doing this to ourselves as well. We're constantly measuring ourselves against the people around us, right? Isn't that the point of high school reunions? We go back and we see how we've done relative to everyone else in our class. Right? We measure ourselves. And it ends up in this vicious cycle. Because what we do is so we try to attain some higher status. But then we get there and we think, I'll be happy when. I'll be happy if. But then we get there and we discover that there's another level beyond that. And there's another level beyond that. And there's always more. And it's driving us and pushing us into this constant cycle where we're competing against this idealized image. And as a result, the sense of self that we have is one where we are always inadequate. We are always judging ourselves. We get our sense of self based on what the world around us says. And I think God wants to fundamentally alter that arrangement and He wants us to root our identity in Him and what He has to say about us. Where we stop competing with everyone else and we root ourselves in our identity as children of a loving and gracious God who calls us into a different way of life, but an abundant way of life. And I believe that today's scripture passage, this reading from the 14th chapter of Acts, is 
a warning to us of what happens if we get our sense of self from the world around us. So Paul and Barnabas have gone to Lystra. And they're preaching there. And they heal this man who's been lame from birth. And as soon as he springs up, the people around them say, the gods have come down to us in human form, and they begin worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And the priest brings an ox to slaughter it. They're going to have a giant festival in Paul and Barnabas' honor. And if we stop right here, can we just admit, that'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? If you showed up in a town, and all of a sudden the whole town thought you were the greatest thing they'd ever seen, and they were going to hold a festival in your honor, and maybe a ticker tape parade, and they'd bring out the best food they had, all for you, I mean, that'd be kind of nice, right? Wouldn't be too bad to be treated like that. And what we see in 21st century America, in this celebrity-driven culture, is that that happens. What we see is that there are people who are treated like that, who walk into a room, who walk into, into some gathering, and instantly they're treated as though they are almost like a god, almost um, revered and worshipped. I remember I was at an airport in L.A., and somebody was going for security next to me, and all these people with cameras are chasing after them, taking pictures of them walking through airport security. Which is, if you've been through airport security, one of the most boring experiences known to man, right? But because this person was doing it, I think it was a singer. I asked somebody, but I forget who it was. I didn't recognize him. Um, because it was them, suddenly it's fascinating. And so those pictures will end up in magazines that people buy because there's this almost this adoration of celebrity culture. And there's a part of us inside of us that says, well, I want to be treated like that. I want the world to think I'm important enough to take pictures of me while I'm going through airport security. To pour out their attention on me. And so something inside of us says, well, if that's not happening, then am I not good enough? Am I not important enough? We feel inadequate. We compare ourselves. But what we see here in the 14th chapter of Acts is that the world can be very fickle. And if we define ourselves based on what the world tells us about us, While we can be adored one second, we can be rejected the next. So in verse 18, Paul and Barnabas can scarcely restrain the crowds from offering a sacrifice in their honor. And in verse 19, the crowd turns on Paul, stones him to the point where they think he is dead, and they drag him out of the city and leave him for dead. Just like that. The crowd turns against him. They reject him and they move on to something else. 
And so what we find is if we allow the world to define our sense of self just as we can, it, it can make us feel good about ourselves, it can reject us in the very next moment. The crowds can be so fickle. This is the same thing we see at the end of the Gospels when Jesus... Crowds of thousands had gathered around to hear him teach one day, and not long after, they're shouting out, Crucify him! Crucify him! If we get our sense of self from the world around us, we're in danger. But, if we allow ourselves to identify primarily with the fact that we are children of God, that we are made in the image of God, that God loves us and wants to redeem us, then our sense of self is grounded in something so concrete that the world cannot take that away from us. And that's what we see in Paul. Paul is so certain of God's love and God's call on his life that he is not afraid to stand up and walk right back into the city where they just tried to kill him. Because he has such trust in God. And what the world does, does not give him anxiety or fear. And then Paul leaves and Paul comes back because he is not afraid. And this is what we find. When we root ourselves in God, we have no reason to be afraid. Because we can be confident in who God is. We can be confident that the Lord has called us and that He loves us and that He has redeemed us and that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. I want to read a few things from, from the end of Isaiah. Because what we're talking about is God's love satisfying us. If we believe that God's love satisfies us, then we don't have a need to find satisfaction anywhere else. When all of our desires are met in God, we don't have to go chasing around for affection or adoration from the world around us. And so what, what we read, this is Isaiah 55, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. This is Isaiah 58. It says, If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness. Your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters never fail your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt you shall raise up the foundations of many generations so God is offering to satisfy our needs and so if we turn to Him and let Him do that then we're not depending on the fickle world around us to tell us who we are. Then we're not competing with people around us to be better, to be best. When we root ourselves in God and let our identity be defined by the fact that we are enough because He has made us and because He has claimed us, all those voices that tell us to compete are drowned out. God loves you. 
God died for you on a cross and God rose from the dead so that you may be raised with Him in eternal life. That is enough. That is enough. Let us pray. Gracious and holy Lord, we pray that you may quiet within us all those voices that tell us we are inadequate, that tell us we are not good enough, that tell us we need to keep up with the world around us. Lord, may we listen to you. May we listen to the call of Scripture that tells us you love us because you made us, that tell us you love us because you created us, that tell us you love us because we are yours and you have purchased us back from the land of sin and death. May that be how we identify ourselves as children of the living God who have been claimed and redeemed by Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. May we root ourselves in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.